0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I'll be your host for the next hour here on WFMU, Freeform Station of the Nation, live from downtown Jersey City in the great, great state of New Jersey. I'm happy to be here with you. I appreciate you joining. I've got a great show for you this evening, or this afternoon, or this morning, whenever you're listening I'm going to be interviewing Rachel Ignatowski, who has a new book out called The History of the Computer, which is written and illustrated by Rachel, and we're also going to have her husband and business partner Thomas Mason in the interview as well, and you're going to find out how they work together to create this book and several other books. Before we get to Rachel and Thomas and the history of the computer, I want to give a a little, a a couple of minor schedule updates, which are are really one of them is very exciting. In two weeks, I'm going to have a guest uh, host. I'm not going to be here, but DJ Arb will be guest hosting Tectonic. That's in two weeks. That's going to be Monday december twenty sixth, and i'm really looking forward to what arb is is going to put together for all of us and i know you will also be excited to hear arb's creation for tectonic and arb actually had a request for the listeners if you'd like to pitch in you can uh you can help put something together for arb's uh, tectonic episode arb is asking listeners for limericks and haikus about your feelings towards technology and uh and and so n- not not free verse not sonnets uh just lim- a, a, a limerick or a haiku or you, i guess you could send our one of each if you wanted what you do is you you write limericks and haikus about your feelings towards technology and email that poem or poems to arb at wfmu.org that's arb at wfmu.org and uh i don't know what arb is planning to do with those poems and and how those will be worked into the show uh but i have already begun thinking about i think i'm going to try limerick but we'll see there's there's so many possibilities so thanks in advance to ARB for guest hosting on December 26th, and thanks to all the listeners in advance for submitting limericks and haikus to help make that show a success. The other thing that I wanted to uh, uh, ask you about, and this is for everyone who's listening live on the comment board, uh, I guess you, if, if you wanted to email me, I'm at mark at wfmu.org. But it would be easiest if you're listening, go to the comment board at wfmu.org, click playlist and comments. And here's the question I have one more show for this calendar year. It's going to be in a week, December 19. And I've noticed that a lot of, um, a lot of, not just radio shows and podcasts, but articles and blogs and all kinds of media, what they do around this time of year, when they have their last show or or issue of the year, a lot of them do a year in review. And I've been thinking that that's a possibility for a Tectonic. For next week, I could do a year in review, which is basically a um, a look back at the biggest technology stories that I covered on Tectonic over – calendar 2022 but i thought i and and i'm excited to do that if you'd be interested however if you're kind of over the idea of year and review shows and columns and and uh, magazines and all that blog posts if you're over that as an idea and you want something new i do have another interview that i have already conducted with an author for the next show book. And I could run that interview next week, or if you want the year-in-review, I could run that interview in January. Um, and let me give you a, a quick, <laughs> a quick look ahead. This book is called. It's a, it's it's a really it's a searing uh, and, and very worthwhile book. It's called The Back Streets by Perhat Tursun, who's a Uyghur novelist. And it's about a Uyghur protagonist uh, walking through the streets of Urumqi, which is the capital of the Xinjiang region, where there has been uh, so much, uh, so many problems with the Chinese state locking up the adult population and resettling um, a high percentage of the children into Han Chinese families. Anyway, this, uh, this novel gives the Uyghur perspective of life under that oppressive surveillance state. It's, it's a little grim, I will admit, <laughs> but it's been critically favorably reviewed everywhere. As I say, it's, it's well worth knowing about. And the co-translator of that book, because it was written in Uyghur, the co-translator is a past tectonic guest, Darren Byler, who was on the show early this year, January, February. And so Darren is going to return to Tectonic to talk with me about uh, this Uyghur novel that he co-translated. It's, um, it, it, I've already conducted the interview, and I can run it next week if you'd like that. And that would be the Christmas show <laughs> to talk about the back streets uh, of Urumqi, by Perhat Tursun. So go to the comment board at wfmu.org. Click playlist and comments, and just say, w- would you like the backstreets or would you like the year in review? And I will, uh, I'll be interested to see what the listeners are interested in. Let me tell you uh, a little bit about this book. I want to go ahead and, and run this interview with Rachel Ignatovsky uh, and her husband and business partner Thomas Mason. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, this book. First of all, this is, a, this is a visual book. Rachel is a great writer and a great illustrator. She both illustrated and wrote this book, The History of the Computer. Uh, the, 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 the full title is The History of the Computer, People, Inventions, and Technology that Changed Our World. This is um, a, a really informative and fun walk through history to understand where did all of these computing platforms come from. And I don't mean just <clears throat> the last 10 years of this. She goes back, as you'll hear in the interview, she goes back to prehistoric times to chart the entire advance of digital technology from when it was just, you know, numerical systems scratched in the sand or or on wood or on bone or something. And it's a very enthusiastic account. She obviously had fun putting this together. She, had, You'll hear in this interview, <clears throat> she's very passionate about her work. And it comes through in the writing and the visuals. And I want you, if you have a web browser, uh, go to WFMU.org, click playlists and comments and scroll down that playlist page because I have put a couple of the images that she makes available on her own site uh, for public viewing. I put those on the playlist so you can get a sense of what this book looks like, what it feels like. Um, we have something from ancient Greece from one fifty b c e and we have another image talking about the invention of the transistor in nineteen forty seven and then radar in nineteen thirty four and those those images and and uh t- text paragraphs I think will give you a sense of what this book feels like. Uh, It's really fun. It is, you'll hear Rachel says, it is somewhat um, uh, intended for middle and high school students, but I can tell you as someone who's been in the technology industry for a long time, that uh, there's a lot that tech veterans can learn as well from this. It's just packed with with knowledge, this book. Uh, So that's that's the, the basis of this project, and I was very happy to feature the book and Rachel and Thomas on the show because it shows among, you know, first of all, it's worth knowing about this book. And if you're interested uh, in the history of the computer, it's, it's well worth your time to take a look at the book. But beyond that, in terms of the show, uh, much like last week's live in-studio interview with, with game designer Eric Zimmerman, talking about his book, The Rules We Break, I like having shows where we're spotlighting people who are doing good work that has to do with technology. So it's not all doom and gloom on Tectonic. We are also putting the spotlight on people who are, uh, who are moving ahead with projects that they're passionate about. They're trying to improve things. They're trying to do things that are creative in some way. And Rachel has certainly delivered that here. Why don't we go ahead and listen to this interview with Rachel Ignatowski. If you want to join in the live listener chat, Go to WFMU.org, click Playlist and Comments, and uh, here it is on Tectonic on WFMU. Rachel Ignatowski and Thomas Mason, welcome to Tectonic.
1: Uh, Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having us.
0: Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you both on the show. Rachel, you're the author, and Thomas, you are an important part (laughs) of a new book called The History of the Computer, People, Inventions, and Technology that Changed Our World. I really enjoyed this book, looking through 25,000 years of, I should say 27,000 years of computing history that you have walked us through. Now, here's the difficulty I have, Rachel and Thomas. This book is beautifully written and beautifully illustrated. It's both textual and visual, and the visuals don't come through very well over the radio. So how do you describe this book to a radio audience?
1: (laughs) Well, first, I always consider myself like a graphic designer and illustrator. And then um, for me, I use that to tell my stories. And the words are like, they kind of come in as the, almost like this big text body of information that I organize through that illustration. This is a kaleidoscope of history. I call it like almost like a little Epcot ride that goes all the way back to the Stone Age, to the first prehistoric men um, who started creating tools to help, you know, expand their mental capacity, whether that was carving on sticks or drawing on stones or literally using their fingers to draw in the sand, all the way to yesterday. It's cartoony, it's goony, it's filled with color, and um, I used my skills as a graphic designer to kind of layer information throughout it. So there's, you know, there's speech bubbles, there's written text, there's beautiful hand done typography, all to make that information really easy to digest for readers who are as young as, you know, 12 to people who are our age, who just, you know, love the subject and want to learn more.
0: Yeah, the, the, the illustrations here, we should just say, these are not photographic assets. I don't think there are any photographs. Is it hand drawn?
1: Well, you know, it is my little tiny goony hand. I have the carpal tunnel to prove it. Um, drawing everything, but just to kind of like age myself. So I'm in my 30s, which means I started drawing when I was seven years old on a Mac color classic. And since then, the computer has just been another tool, just like a paintbrush or crayons for me to draw on. So I draw things by hand. I scan them in. I redraw them sometimes on the computer. Sometimes I take that line work directly and, uh, you know, not to get too technical, I I pull it out into channels, remove it from the background and then recolor it. So, um, yeah, the computer is just another extension of my I would say my paintbrush. And so, yeah, it's all drawn by hand, whether I'm using a mouse to draw it or a little Logitech pencil um, or literally my Micron pens. Um, it kind of all blends together once I get it into Photoshop.
0: That's so cool. Just just flipping through here. Uh, listeners, these are all drawn by Rachel. I'm just flipping through and you've got, <laughs> I see a drawing of an old TV set The caption is, Star Trek premiered on TV in 1966. So there's a drawing of an old TV set with rabbit ears, and there are the four principal characters of the original Star Trek. And then you flip forward, and here I see a drawing of a still from Terminator 2, the movie from (laughs) 1991. you got the Nintendo 8-bit video game console, the SNES. All of these are illustrated so that you're not simply bulleting out, here's where computers played a part in our culture or in our economy. You're saying, look at this aspect of of computer history, and that makes it that much more engaging.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like drew the build of Charles Babbage's difference engine, and man, oh man, like my arm was tired after that one, all those little gears. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Star Trek and Terminator. I really love making history relatable by talking about some of the things that I personally love about history. For me, I try to like put Star Trek in, I kind of sneak Star Trek into every single book I've done, whether it is, um, you know, my first book, Women in Science, which published in 2016. And and I kind of like have it as part of my bio because Star Trek had such a big influence in my life as a child watching it. It's just kind of like, I kind of see all of my work through the lens of like, are we getting closer to Star Trek by me doing these little drawings about science communication? I mean, it's kind of goofy to say that, but it's kind of a motivator that's deep down in my little heart. But um, for me, coming and approaching a computer history as an artist, I really wanted to also follow this thread of how computers have become a creative tool that's accessible to everyone, Um, even accessible to, like I said before, me as just a little seven-year-old who's able to go into my library, go on a Mac and start drawing right away with absolutely no training or onboarding or anything like that. Like, how did we get there?
0: let's, Let's talk about some of these chapters. What I appreciate is that you start the book with an overview of modern computer hardware and, to some extent, software before you start in with a chronological sweep of history. And then the next page says, ancient civilizations, 25,000 BCE to 1599 CE. So just a mere 26,000-year stretch for you to cover with your illustrations and text, Rachel. And then we, <laughs> and then we move on to the following chapter, Steam and Machines, which immediately you notice that the, the timescale has, has shrunk considerably. This is about 300 years, 1600 to 1929. And then the timescales get shorter and shorter, as you say, up through the 80s and 90s. And then the last one, I think, is 2006 to the present, where you're talking about Web 2.0 and smartphones and search engines and social media and hashtags and things like that. It's engaging, as we've said, with, with your illustrations, but it's very clear. My sense, Rachel, is that you wrote this at a level that would be accessible to as early as what, middle school or high school students?
1: That's exactly right. Um, It's written at the middle school level. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but the news is actually written at the middle school level. Um, So for these sort of larger books that I do, it's like I, I layer the information in a way where it can age down even to like an upper elementary school child but also be as in-depth and have deep cuts and have some real insight that someone at a professional level will enjoy. And I've been doing that with all of my work since I started publishing. By doing that, we create tools that teachers can use in classrooms at different levels. And they could actually plan lesson plans around these books um, at middle school, high school. And I even have like, I've gotten emails from people who are in college who are like, "I'm reading this with my boyfriend, and he's learning so much from it." And like, uh, like, and then professionals who are like, "I read this with my kid every night," and like, even though I've been in uh, computer science for the past twenty years, I'm learning things I didn't know about history. So it's been really exciting to get that feedback.
0: Oh, definitely, and I I can state that for myself as well. I'm a computer science graduate myself, and. I learned a lot from this book, and it's much more fun to look it up here than to look it up online and just get, uh, you know, very functional, read somewhere. You mentioned earlier that this is not your first book. Near the end of the book, you have a page showing all of your books, and this book, The History of the Computer, might be your eighth. Is that possible?
1: I, I believe it's my sixth, like, book book. <laughs> Women in Science.
0: Sixth.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Women in Art, Women in Sports, for my Women In series. Then The Wondrous Workings of Planet Earth, which is like, that's a book that profiles different ecosystems all around the world. And it's kind of, it's my sort of like climate change and preservation book. I I really love that book. Um, But what was so exciting about this book right here is that Unlike the other books, I actually got to create my own mini museum in my own home while doing the research, which Thomas who was my research assistant and like really instrumental in helping me structure this book because Thomas has been fixing old computers since he was 13. We we actually like own like the 1977 Commodore PET, a 1984 Macintosh, an Apple II. We have like this huge computer collection that I use as references while I was drawing. Uh, Thomas got them all working and we actually bring them with us whenever we're doing book talks. So we actually brought them to Comic-Con with us and we had kids as young as like eight coming up and like getting on the Mac from 1984, like they've owned it their whole lives.
0: Thomas, tell me about this computer museum that you have in your home there in in Santa Barbara
2: well when we were first kind of like working on the book about three years ago we were traveling around to a lot of computer museums um, especially Paul Allen's uh living computer History Museum in Seattle which unfortunately doesn't really exist anymore but when it did it was basically they had all these mini computers from like the 1960s and 70s and then just all, all the little 8-bit micros out where you could just go up to them and just you Know, type away whatever you wanted onto and play chess. Have the staff get out like these gigantic hard disks and uh load yeah, up. They lo- loaded
1: up Smalltalk for us on a Xerox Alto, yeah, so let's we'll play around with the that. The famous,
2: very like kind of first uh computer from Xerox that had a graphic user interface, which was uh developed in the 70s, in which a lot of our computer software kind of comes from now, and uh. So when 2020 came around and a lot of those places shut down and we were still like having to work on this book, (laughs) we were like, how do we, you know, how do we know what really is going on with these? How accurate are like the, when are the, 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 is the software that's going to be in the book illustrated? It's
1: like, be able to illustrate something. You have to understand the human aspect of it. And with computers, the only way to understand the human aspect is to touch, feel, type, and smell those old things. (laughs) They're, They're these beautiful antiques. Thomas traveled around all around California collecting these computers from primary sources. And really, really cool. We also got an original Omnibot, which is like a a toy by Tomy from um, a guy who... Got it from the company who worked for the loading docks in, at, in Long Beach. So mm-hmm. Tommy gave, and okay, so for, for the listeners who don't know, Omnibot is this little tiny cute, basically like, how would you describe Omnibot, Thomas?
2: It's it's, it's a toy uh, robot. It's a
1: toy robot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a toy robot that you um, control, like it's like a little car. Like, it's
2: like a little R2-D2. Yeah, a little R2-D2
1: yeah. that you can control remotely. And you can also like program a little.
2: Expensive early 80s toy that failed. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, but they gave it to all the guys at the loading dock before it even came out in stores, and this guy just kept it mint in box for like forty years, just waiting for really, us. yeah, yeah. And so we opened it up, and it had the notes from manufacturing of how they're going to edit the, the little manual folder yeah. inside. Yeah, it, it was wild.
0: And we should say that the two of you are married, uh, so yes. the, yeah. the the museum is in both of your uh...
1: the museum. It's, we are entombed in the museum. <laughs> so we, we live in our museum.
0: <laughs> and after working on this book throughout the pandemic, throughout lockdown and acquiring a lot, Thomas acquiring a lot of these old machines and your Rachel, you're uh, creating these illustrations of, in person from what you have in that home museum both of you <laughs> still seem to be having a good time together. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's we've been working together for a really, really long time. Um, we And we've also been, so we've been together for like 10 years, uh, married for five. And um, when we met, I was actually uh, working at Hallmark as a greeting card designer and Thomas was still in film school. So later we both ended up working at Hallmark at some point. We like overlapped for like a year, six months. months. I quit, I quit to do freelance and write my books full time. And uh, Thomas started working there. Um, So we worked together at Hallmark for a little bit. And then, um, you know, Thomas was doing the film thing. I was writing my books and running my online shop. And then it came to a point where I, the, the, Being an author and illustrator is such an intense job, and running an artist business is almost like a second job, and it got so big that I was either going to have to hire someone or have my husband, who's the most talented person I know, just step in and do the things that I would have to hire someone for anyway that he does professionally anyway. So now we've run this artist studio together. He fully runs my shop. He helps me research all of my books. We go on tour together. We're doing comic-con this year together. It's, it's been, we just really like each other.
0: <laughs> that's, that's really nice. And, and it's not just computers. I mean, as you said before, you've done uh, this women in, series women in science women in sports women in art and i haven't seen those books but i imagine they go to the depth that this history of the computer goes which means that you're doing deep dives on very different topics into into sports and art as well as as you said in, into ecosystems how are you able to do all of that
1: yeah it's it's a lot it's my full-time job it's all i do and again that is why Thomas is my business partner because for me to be able to draw all day and to be able to organize all this dense information, it's like I need help with every single uh, other part of the. He's a jack of all trades. He does all the filming, all the photography, um, helps me on the business end. Uh, Again, like in the helps me research, gives me feedback. It's like having a business partner who's your husband, who's also an artist. uh, It's, that is why I'm able to have be able to do something that's so in depth and be able to like lock myself away for eight hour stretches at a time uh, without getting up. He actually is the one who reminds me to get up and stretch so I don't destroy myself uh, drawing these pictures.
0: And we're back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. We are halfway through my interview with Rachel Ignatowski, illustrator and author of a number of books, six books, including her most recent, The History of the Computer. We're speaking with Rachel and her husband and business partner, Thomas Mason, about the book and you just heard them talking about their process of putting together the history of the computer including going out and buying the components of a home old computer museum that uh, is stored now in there as she said we're we're entombed in it (laughs) Um, we're having a good conversation on the comments board at wfmu.org click playlist and comments to see that you can join in or if you're listening in the future go to tectonic.fm that's t-e-c-h tonic.fm and find the december 12 2022 playlist let's now hear the second half of my interview with rachel ignatowski here on tectonic on wfmu i appreciated near the end of the book you had a, a spread called challenges in a digital world, such as e-waste, personal data and privacy, trustworthy sources by which you're really referring to misinformation and disinformation, and bias in algorithms and AI, among other challenges, all of which this show, Tectonic, has covered over the years. These are all legitimate concerns. How do you think the readers are reacting to that section? Have you have you heard from anyone who says, oh, this really opened my eyes to some of the problems that these new technology platforms are creating?
1: When it comes to the problems, I think everyone is acutely aware of them. Maybe some of the problems more than others. When I talk to teachers and parents around the country, their biggest concern is misinformation and a frustrating information landscape that's out there. And their other biggest concern and this is kind of the frustrating part for me is that they equate all computers with social media because that is what they use it the most as. So like whenever you talk to them about computers, they're not talking about the things that they're making or like the cool art that could be made with like 3D printers or they, they only talk about the passive entertainment that they're consuming on it because that's how they interact with it most.
2: So they equate computers with, um, yeah, just like, uh, news feeds off of Twitter or Facebook. They're, you know, non-linear feeds Yeah, when you say computers, that's what they, they go, Oh, ew.
1: yeah. You say computers and they go, uh, you know, they don't even know the terms for it, but they only equate it with these closed gardens of misinformation and ads that they seem to be, um, addicted to. What I have found is that when people read this book, they learn about some of the more exciting and public philosophies that are in it. Things like the fact that, you know, NASA did these giant big science projects uh, to get us to the moon, but also that was like the first use of a computer chip was in the Apollo guidance computer. Um, The fact that at one point our government Funded a project at Stanford to basically get a bunch of scientists in a room and ask them, "Hey, how can we make American citizens collectively smarter?" And that was the result of that was the mother of all demos with Douglas Engelbart, the the online system, the fact that the World Wide Web that we use every day is free. And it was created at CERN as just a way to collaborate and create together. These philosophies and these like exciting moments in history that are in this book remind the reader that computers are actually one of the most interesting and powerful tools we have to collaborate and to create things. As an artist, I do that every single day. I feel people like they have to be reminded that these are what the tools were intended for. And to try and rethink how we approach computers we we don't have to use them the way our software the the way these apps are telling us to use them we can actually use them however we want
2: and a lot of that's built into the functionality of like you know the computing like devices that people have you Mm -hmm. know when you have an ipad you can't like really write an app for it with the ipad you know you can pretty much just consume things
1: yeah i mean i put that in the book we can use an iphone or like our smart devices to read books but when's the last time you wrote a book on an iphone it's nearly impossible to do that and that's not because it doesn't have the power to do that it's just because the way that we it's been built on purpose it's been limiting it's almost the uh, the post pc the 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 kind of like dissecting a personal computer to create
2: it just locked down to be a consumption device.
1: Exactly. And if something's a consumption device, all you can do is consume. And then yeah. when you think about it, young people and people who, you know, make a lower income, a lot of them are smartphone dependent, where the only device that, you know, connects to the Internet in their home is their smartphone, and they don't have access to a personal computer. It-
2: You know, and I'm just like thinking back, you know, in my like little history, it's like a a, a geriatric millennial, you know, like when I was a teenager and we had like a Windows XP desktop, you know, I like coded my own little programs and stuff on that and uh, built things with it. And I, I know it's not as easy to do that today with a lot of the smartphone and like computing like devices that kids have nowadays you know,
1: unless you are privileged enough to have a personal computer yeah. in your home, which, you know, a lot of like middle-class and rich kids have, but if rich, kids. rich kids, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> those rich kids. But if we're thinking, thinking about uh children who come from, uh you know, lower income families, they're denied by design tools that could allow them to create tools that are basically wealth builders. And then so is by creating these devices that are only meant to consume, if that is the priority, are we actually like stealing wealth away from people? I don't know if you start thinking of it like that even.
0: I can't wait for the next book, which is your analysis of computers in an increasingly unequal, <laughs> unequal society by Rachel Ignatowski.
1: Yes. <laughs> we sneak some of those ideas in i wouldn't say sneak they're pretty blatant we we mention these things in a very neutral way with the statistics from like pew research because we have a whole chapter that starts basically with the iphone and goes to yesterday it gets to a point where it's like when you're talking about you know stuff that happened last year basically in a way that's historically relevant you're kind of like painting with a broad brush i always like to use statistics and very neutral statements that lead the viewer and the reader on their own. They get the idea, let me say. But yeah, there's a few. There's, I would say like there's a couple of political cartoons in here.
0: <laughs> well, it was interesting going through the book and thinking. And, and obviously, I, I know more about the more recent figures in the now chapter because those are the ones that I cover on the show. I know less about the day-to-day uh, dealings of Grace Hopper, let's say. I'm I'm imagining as you're putting the book together, there's this tension because you want to give, as you say, a neutral and also a summary account of who these people are and who these companies are and what their job is or what their products were, what they're known for, that sort of thing. But at the same time, as you said before, you want to put in some indication that maybe there are some details <laughs> that people, if they're interested, could look more into. Here I'm thinking about, Someone like Bill Gates, you had a half-page summary biography of Bill Gates, Microsoft co-founder, and then brought out Windows, and then started the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and left Microsoft to work on the foundation. That was pretty much the arc of that bio. And I thought, well, that's all correct, but there is so much more that one could say about Bill Gates, uh, some of his other activities, and the impacts that he's having on the world in ways that are very often negative and yet you don't want to go full bore into that sort of description in a book like this for a middle and high school audience how do you draw the line where you're going to pull back the curtain a little bit and show them a pointer to some of the negative stuff versus giving them the more even-handed neutral account of of the basic facts
1: when i was talking about bill gates in the story it was mostly about the founding of Microsoft and the fact that this, and, and and I do touch on it a little bit in the 90s chapter where I start talking about monopolies and the antitrust suit that was against Microsoft.
2: You really do go into a lot of like the history of Microsoft's sort of like ascension to the, the only computing company for a minute, you know, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. And there's a lot of complaints about Facebook now and how in this era of these monopolies in in tech there's not really a way for these little startups to come up and be competition because they get bought out immediately the features that they create get absorbed into like apple into like the iphone or something and uh, microsoft was doing that like in the 80s and 90s where like if somebody came up with an uh, like net like uh, netscape is a great example of mm-hmm. that because they wanted to they didn't want to even allow netscape to be installed on PCs
1: so we don't try to paint anyone as, see, this book is very different than my women in history books, which are like, rah, rah, these are fantastic role models. In this book, we talk about some complicated people who, you know, none of them are angels. Um, maybe, maybe a few out there. I I do love, I do love my Douglas Engelbart, but you know, it's like, it's like none of them are angels. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm being a dork. Um, but it's like, These are complicated people who hold a lot of power, some of them in this book. Um, That's why they have made history. And we talk about what power is, what, what monopolies are, and what happens when that power goes unchecked. And at the end of the day, our tools, like computers, when they work best, they're working for us as individuals, not for these giant tech monopolies.
0: Your passion and enthusiasm... Uh, Rachel, uh, is in full force, (laughs) (laughs) is very evident. And it comes out in this book, as you say, one of the things you want readers to walk away with is this idea that they can create, they can be collaborative. And I can understand how it's challenging to both encourage the readers to go forward and create and come up with great ideas while still reminding them of some of the pitfalls. It's a difficult balancing act.
1: Uh, It's a line that I've been walking throughout my entire career whenever I make things is like how to talk about complicated and and scary topics without bumming people out too much. So they keep wanting to read more and they don't leave totally feeling dismayed. Um, I did it, like I said before, I did it in my uh, book, The Wondrous Workings of Planet Earth, where I talk all about climate change, basically, that is a climate change book, as well as a earth science book, because you can't remove the two, just like this is a history book, a tech book. And yeah, we talk about complicated times in history, because that's how you tell an accurate telling of it. We also showcase many positive moments in computer history that are fantastic role models and great little rays of hopes to try to model future behavior after. Um, I I know that sounds corny, but it's like in this book, it became apparent that progress isn't a completely a straight line. And sometimes there are unrealized ideas in the past that need gardening and nurturing to bloom.
0: I also appreciate that this book ends with a list of books for further reading. I mean, it's clear that both of you are fans of books. You've created a beautifully designed and written book, not an iPad app for kids to swipe through. It's it's very much a book. Is there a particular book that's a a favorite of yours that served as an inspiration that you would point listeners to after they've read uh, The History of the Computer?
1: I think we have two. I have my favorite, and then there's Thomas's favorite. I I personally, I really liked IWAS. I know it's I know it's goofy, but it's the biography book of Steve Wozniak. And what I love about it is that it's just filled with so much joy for building things and like these wacky hijinks that he got into like it for me i thought it was so funny that he was like you know he's like yeah i created you know the first personal computer but you know one of my pride and joys is a joke hotline that i also made and i'm like <laughs> I, I and i think when we talk about computer history um, and we talk about uh, people who are going into computer science. There's like a big, like, seriousness around it. And to remind everyone that joyful creation is a big part of innovation, I think that book does it really, really well. And then Thomas's favorite book is I
2: liked, I liked um, uh, Fire in the Valley by Michael Swain and Paul Freeberger. Um, that's kind of like the original uh, journalistic coverage of Silicon Valley in the late 70s and mid 80s.
1: Speaking of the dirt, the dirt's in there. If like that is, you know, if, if that's a great pointer to be like, if you want to like hear about difficult personalities in the computer world.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is, um, Ellen Kay uh, has not written a book. He's one of the chief scientists at like Xerox and later Apple in the 80s, Um, he has not written a book, but he has a lot of like uh, talks on YouTube and like many different organizations he's been guested (laughs) to speak at that are really worth checking out. Like from any era, you can hear him talk in the '80s. It's interesting, and you know he's still working today for the uh, Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Yeah, the
1: Ellen MacArthur Foundation, which I actually found out about through writing "Women in Sports." The Ellen MacArthur Foundation, not to be confused with the MacArthur Grant in the United States, it's all about building a circular economy. So Ellen MacArthur, it's been broken since, but she at one point held the record for the fastest sail around the world, and while she was on her sailboat she couldn't help but compare it to the planet. When you're sailing, it's a closed unit. You have to reuse everything you have. What you have in the boat is all you're going to have on the boat. And that's our planet going through space. And so the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is all about how can we combat climate change and pollution through a circular free market economy where we reuse, repair, and repurpose as many things as possible. So nothing ends up in the trash. He's been very involved in that. So I learned about that in women's sports. I talked about it in my book, Planet Earth, and then I get to talk about it again in the history of computers. Um, So everything informs everything else that I do. Go listen to his lectures. Not only is he just a computer science genius, but his views on media theory and how tools change a person who's using them he says it so eloquently. It was really influential to me. I, I love media theory. So yeah, go out there and watch those. They're really, really cool. And they're all free online. So it's like you kind of get to go to school for free. But sounds cool to me.
0: <laughs> the joy, joy, you said the word joy before. And that's what I'm getting from this interview and what comes through in this book as well. Before I forget, Rachel, you and Thomas are based in Santa Barbara, but Originally, you're from the great state of New Jersey.
1: I am, I am. I uh, grew up around Princeton in West Windsor. And yeah, I went to school in Philadelphia at Tyler School of Art. And then at 21, I moved all the way to Kansas City, Missouri for my first and only nine to five job, uh, which was Hallmark greeting cards. So I've only worked for someone else for four years. And I quit that job when I was 25. So, um, yeah, that was my only experience with an office. It was cool. You know, would I repeat it? Nah.
0: (laughs) And Rachel, where can people go online to find out more about you and your books and maybe to order the history of the computer?
1: You can get this book. Every single place that books are sold, call up your favorite bookseller, give them a call. You could also go online to wherever you prefer to buy books. And to find me, I'm Rachel Ignatowski. I'm the only Rachel Ignatowski in the world. Just search my name. You can visit and get a bunch of free downloads. And also, all of the books and links that we talked about I have as a reference page on my website, IgnatovskyDesign.com. So I'm Rachel Ignatowsky on social and Rachel design.com to check out my shop, my art prints, and all that good stuff.
0: The book is The History of the Computer, People, Inventions, and Technology that Changed Our World by Rachel Ignatowsky, with a bunch of help from your husband, Thomas Mason. Rachel and Thomas, thanks very much for being on Tectonic today.
1: Ah, thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, you have a great week.
0: And we're back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. I will be your host for the remaining, what is it, 12 minutes of the show. And then the great Dave Mandel takes over here in Studio A with another episode of his prog rock show. It's complicated. I hope you will stay tuned to hear what Dave Mandel has in store for us. We just heard my interview with Rachel Ignatovsky, artist and author, who has just come out with her new book, The History of the Computer, People, Inventions, and Technology that Changed Our World. You also heard from her husband and business partner, Thomas Mason. As I mentioned in the interview, they are based in Santa Barbara, California, living in a house apparently with a number of uh, antique computers that Rachel used for uh, as primary sources for research as she put together the history of the computer getting the the sights and smells just right for the book and if you miss the beginning of the show let me remind you that there are images from the history of the computer available on the playlist at wfmu.org click playlist and comments or in the future, find us at tectonic.fm. T-E-C-H, tonic.fm. There's a number of images, um, including the, and I'm I'm gonna try to say it right, the Antikythera uh, mechanism, is that right? The Antikythera, the Antikythera uh, mechanism, this ancient Greek from 150 BCE that Rachel writes, had more than 30 bronze gears in a wooden case It had gears for Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. This is a a highly advanced, as she describes it, a computational machine that was being used in ancient Greece. The book starts further, further back uh, before ancient Greece, but it it goes and and covers that. And then we go, as I said before, through to radar in 1934 and the transistor in 1947. Uh, Also along the way... In the 19th century she mentioned Rachel mentioned in the interview the carpal tunnel that she got from drawing every little stroke of this one particular diagram of Babbage's difference engine that was from 1822 a totally of course in 1822 totally mechanical um, computation device and it's a faithful recreation that that Rachel put together this is a painstaking work both in terms of the research and in the execution of these illustrations and the um, if you look at the comments from and thanks to everyone who's been commenting uh, the there's a lot of appreciation from tectonic listeners for the the style and the um, just the the fun and the accuracy and the enthusiasm that Rachel has imbued in these illustrations. Um, So take a look at those illustrations, and you can click through to rachelignotofskydesign.com, and there are more images from the book. And as she said, there's resources you can go to. I also put in links to Rachel's uh, favorite book from the ones that she recommends, uh, in in the history of the computer, which is I Was by Steve Wozniak. There's a link to that on IndieBound. And, uh, and Thomas's favorite, Fire in the Valley, The Birth and Death of the Personal Computer, which is a history of Silicon Valley written by Michael Swain and Paul Freiberger. That's also linked up on the playlist. And finally, I put a link to a bunch of videos featuring Alan Kay. These are, uh, I think they were originally posted on YouTube. I am trying not to link to youtube quite so much uh because i i think we all need to get off google as, if if we can and there is a way to watch youtube videos that are not forcing you to um to go into youtube and have your personal data stripped away and monetized by google in order to watch uh th- these videos uh the videos of Alan Kay are well worth your time, but it's it's maybe not worth your time to have your privacy compromised by a trillion dollar corporation just to watch a video and then have these annoying ads served on top of that. So I put a link uh on the playlist to a mirror site. <laughs> this is at WebLibre.org and it goes to the same the same videos that are mirroring uh YouTube. So you can try that out. Um thanks very much to Rachel for coming on the show and sharing uh, sharing both her process of putting together history of the computer and some of her thinking within the within the content as well, how she thought about depicting some of these characters. You know, speaking of these complicated characters, it it is interesting reading through the the latter parts of the history of the computer. We talked about Bill Gates, uh, but there's also mentions of Steve Jobs, who was a complicated character. There's mentions of uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, and I it, I had a whole section, a whole segment of the show Uh, planned out and ready to go to talk about everything that's been happening in Elon Musk land. And I simply don't have time to go into all of it, but I can just read you the categories. Uh, Talk about a complicated character. It it just, does it seem to you like tech news, half of tech news these days has something to do with Elon Musk or a company that he's bought or taken over? Uh, I had a Starlink story from his SpaceX company that has been approved to shoot 7,500 more satellites into the night sky, well, into the sky, which will disrupt uh, astronomers' work in observing the night sky. There's an article on Neuralink where it now faces a federal probe and an employee backlash over the results of these animal tests, you know, drilling into monkeys' skulls to put in his uh, mind-controlled, well, not mind-control, but mind reading devices I suppose. Uh, I'm sure he would never think of controlling someone's mind. And then there is a CBC out of Canada. There's a CBC story about how te- Tesla now has been approved to use full self-driving mode in downtown Toronto because they had this um, pesky problem of not slowing down for people in the street who were getting off of streetcars. Um, and Apparently, there's been no response from Tesla as to how exactly they have fixed that problem. They are not responding to the Toronto Tra- Transportation Commission, and there's this great quote uh, from the commissioner saying, "Well, I, I assume that they fixed it. I hope they. I hope they have respect for our pedestrians. <laughs> hope and assumptions." And then finally, there is this story out of uh, San Francisco. Last night, apparently, Dave Chappelle, comedian Dave Chappelle had a live stage show, a comedy show, and at the very end, as a finale, he brought Elon Musk on stage. And uh, the reports are, and I saw some video footage, that of the 18,000 people in attendance, uh, roughly 17,999 of them were booing when Elon Musk came on stage. I think, I, I would say there were there were a few fanboys uh, uh, still shouting for his attention and approval, but most of the crowd was booing loudly, and it was sort of interesting to to hear Elon then say, what should I do now, Dave? <laughs> what do you do when 18,000 people are booing? Well, you can't block them all, and you can't shadow ban them all, because this is real life. This is in person. You don't have your digital control when you get inside that comedy arena. Anyway, that's all the time I have this evening uh, you are b- listening. You are listening to the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU, Mount Hope, in New York City, in Rockland County, 91.9 FM, and online at WFMU.org. Until next time, friends, you know exactly what to do: avoid Apple, abandon Amazon, forget Facebook, and whatever you do, get off Google. And I thought, in honor of Rachel Ignatowski and the great joy she brings to her work, we would play a song that features. 167 theremins from Japan playing a familiar song. Have a great week, everybody, and stay tuned for Dave Mandel.
3: Oh yeah! <laughs> Welcome, folks, to another installment of "It's Complicated." An hour of Prague and Prague adjacent, adjacent, adjacent music. I'm Dave Mandel, your host tonight and every Monday at this time. Thanks so much for being here for joining me tonight. We are going to uh, start the show this evening with a couple of. A um, couple pieces of French music. Can I find it? Found it. Uh, we're going to start tonight with a longish piece from the group Magma. Uh, Magma was a w- R. They, they, they may still be together. These bands you know, break up and, and reform every week. I actually saw Magma live in 2000, 2001. One of their one of their Reunion cycles. Anyway, we're going to hear uh, an original track, a track from um, an original album by Magma from 1973. Magma was a very important, if I may say, a very important prog group based in uh, based in France, led by a guy named Christian Vander, who was the drummer and visionary <laughs> behind the group. They the 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 group's uh, MO the whole the whole story behind the group philosophy theory was a science fictiony thing about uh, i think escaping escaping from earth to another planet i I actually forget the details but uh, very uh science fiction fantasy and magma who again were french were so influential that they they uh, spawned a, a, gen- a sub genre of music. I mean, they would certainly be considered a prog band, prog rock band. But Magma, there's a there's a a, a sub genre of music that Magma spawned, which is called Zul, Z e u h l, and it's Zul is hard to is hard to define. The way the way I would define Zul music is music that sounds like Magma. <laughs> so there's various other groups that would be. Slotted into that category, and basically they're bands that were very obviously influenced by Magma. And sound like them in one way or another. Uh, another thing, the one of the most notable things about Magma is, as if as if just the music and the kind of vision in the whole thing was wasn't wasn't weird enough. Uh, Christian Vander, the leader of the group, created created a language, created his own language based on. Uh, Based on some various European languages, um, and and the song magma songs are sung in this language, which is called Kobayan. So, <laughs> so that's that's the you know the Cliff Notes uh, story on magma. We're going to hear a track from an album called Mechanic Destructive Commando from 1973, and uh, it's longest track. And we'll I'll follow this up. With a piece by another French group that was c- kind of sort of cut from the same cloth a group called Art Zoid and both the i guess the thing about these groups to to you know to over explain for you is they're very influenced by like early twentieth century. Music, classical music, Stravinsky and such like, and uh, very, very dramatic, very, or or, in the in the case of Art Zoid, especially, very, uh, orchestral. But you'll but you'll hear that. And all right, so we're going to hear a track from Magma, followed by a track from Art Zoid, two French groups. And here we go.